We have three passages this morning. Matthew 5:14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Mark 16:15 through 19. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and they, and they drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then... When the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Acts 1, 6-11 So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taking up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you. Inside of your announcement sheet is an outline that you can use as as we go through our message this morning. And uh, as you're getting those out... You might want to open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 8 as well. And while you're doing that, just a reminder, if you signed up for the uh, the Servant Heart Lunch today, that is going to be taking place right after our assembly this morning. And so uh, as soon as we are dismissed with our shepherd's closing prayer, if you, you'll make your way over to the Fellowship Hall. There is a, a lot of good food that has been prepared for you. Let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer and ask God to bless us as we study. Father, when we begin to think about the, the beginning of this year and, and the onset of, of the days of this year that are before us, what we pray, Father, is, is to live our life in light of the greatness of Your presence. And we know, Father, without a shadow of a doubt, that the closer we draw to You and You to us and the magnificence and the majesty and the holiness and the, the, the graciousness of your presence as it becomes bigger and larger and and becomes so wide and so deep and so high in our life we can't help but be changed by that and that's what we ask for father to draw closer to you and you to us in order father for all of the satisfaction and and for all of the well-being that comes in, in knowing you for that to be a part of every day that we live but also as we go out into this community and we interact with people that, 
that, that have an inkling of Your presence or have some ideas about Your, your identity or Your character, Father, that as we speak and as we do our good deeds, that the greatness of Your presence will be pervasive in all that, that, all that we, we say and all that we do, that it will exude from the very pores of, of our being, Father, when we go into the presence of anyone in this next year, that they will see You and understand You better because of their contact with us. Father, we, we pray for strength to, to, to do this. And we pray for wisdom and we pray for knowledge. And as we, we think about this early church in Acts, we're asking You, Father, to, in the name of Jesus, give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Bless us in this way, Father. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. The theme this year, up here on the screen, let's say it together, it is... City Lights. Let's say it one more time. City Lights. And the theme verse this year is found in Matthew chapter 5. It's that first verse, that, uh, that first text that Michael read to us this morning. It's about being a light in the city and in the, 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 among people and crowds and wherever it is that we live in the community. And basically what that verse is saying and what our theme this year is emphasizing and focusing on and reminding us of on a daily basis is that a Christian presence... And a Christian declaration and Christian activity brings godly influence into whatever community, whatever city, whatever uh, neighborhood believers and disciples of Jesus find themselves. Another way of saying it is that Christians create godly culture in the city. Our lives are like light, whether it's passive or, or direct. We are bringing this kind of influence wherever we are now. Uh, to get our minds uh, around what we're going to be talking about this morning, I, I want to talk a little bit about... I, I don't really know a lot about uh, video games and electronic games. I, you know, once you kind of get past Solitaire or Spider Solitaire, I'm kind of lost. But I was reading this last week about, about a game that uh, has become, in 2014, when it was released, it has become the most popular independently produced game of the year, having a revenue of more than $11.78 million. It is called, get this, Goat Simulator. Number one game introduced independently this last year. Now, the, the premise of the game is that it allows players to wreak havoc on a virtual city as an animated goat. That's what I, I, I know. Basically, the player is a goat... All, all this is animated. Uh, you're a goat, and you have on a jetpack, and you fly into a city, and you start tearing the place up. And what you don't headbutt and tear up, you lick. And what you don't lick, you scream at. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, this is a real game. And by the way, I just want you to know that all of you that are trying to download this game on your smartphone right now, it is being tracked. Just <laughs> and so what he doesn't tear up, he licks, and what he doesn't lick, he screams at. Now, it was launched last year on April Fool's uh, Day, April 1st, by, a, uh, I think it was a Swedish company. It was a company called Coffee Stain, and they launched it as a joke, but it really caught on. But with the launch on April 1st of this game, Goat Simulator, they said that they, it was being billed as the latest in goat simulation technology. Goat simulation technology. The world's a better place. Goat simulation technology. Now, 
Why, why do I bring up goats? You know, goats are wonderful animals. But when we think about this game as a metaphor, it's pretty easy to see that the cities of the earth are filled with goats that are tearing it apart. But here's the thing. Christians aren't goats, but they're what? Sheep. And how does Jesus refer to the people of faith, His disciples, as sheep? And sheep have a different agenda for the city than goats do. Think about the text that were just read for us just a couple of minutes ago by, by Brother Blevins. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16. When Jesus is talking about the Sermon on the Mount, He is addressing disciples. He is addressing, really, people who have heard about God all of their life and have been followers of God. But He takes it a step up and He says, if you really want the kingdom of God to reign in your heart and to be a disciple, this is how you live. Disciples of Jesus are like light. And light goes everywhere. When you're out in the middle of a dark forest and, and you light that flashlight, that light goes everywhere. When you go into a dark room and you flip that switch, that light goes everywhere. Disciples of Jesus are like light. That light goes everywhere and it stands out in contrast to darkness. I mean, you can be in the, the, the middle of nowhere and there's absolutely no light around you and you just look to the blackest sky and what is it that you see? Light. It brings, and, and that is, by the way, how we're supposed to do our good deeds. That's how we do our, our good works as disciples of Jesus as light. We do them in such a way that it brings joy and gladness to people. And as Jesus says, it's not us that's getting the thanks, but it's God that's getting the thanks and God that's getting the glory. We live as light. And then Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 15, you know, all of the Gospels in the first chapter of Acts all have their great commissions. This one we don't really read a lot. We, we tend to know Matthew chapter 28. Matthew's great commission better than any of the others. But in Mark chapter 16, in one of the last messages that Jesus is giving His disciples before they ascend into heaven, He says, you fellas are not just going to stay here. You're going to go into all the world and you are going to make disciples. And how is that going to be done? It's going to be done through proclamation of the gospel and baptizing people, which means that they are going to have their sins forgiven because they are participating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, as well as aligning their life with the will of God. That's what baptism is all about. And then in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, this is Luke's account in Acts of the Great Commission. And Jesus is with His disciples right before He ascends into heaven and is sat down at the right hand of God. And they want to know about all of these different times and places and epochs and, and, and times and these sorts of things. And Jesus says, that's not for you to know right now. What you need to know is that you're going to be empowered from on high. You're going to be clothed with power from on high. And you stay in Jerusalem until that happens. And when that happens, know that it's going to be dispersed throughout the world. It'll begin in Jerusalem and then go into Judea and Samaria and then even to the remotest parts of the earth. And so when we get down to looking at these three verses and thinking about what we do as Christians, we, we, we live as light and we do good deeds and we proclaim the message of God, God's gospel. We talk about the Christ. We do all of these things because of this truth. God desires all the people of the earth to become followers of the Christ. God's Son, Jesus, died on the cross not just to save me and to save you, but to save everyone who has faith. It is God's desire that all men come to faith in Christ Jesus. And so how that happens, we find a case study in Acts chapter 8. 
Acts chapter 8 becomes a case study for how this happens. And I want to start reading in verse 4, but here's the thing. I want to give you a little bit of context. The, The church has been in Jerusalem, that first stage, Jerusalem, second stage, Judea and Samaria, third stage, the ends of the earth, the remotest ends of the parts of the earth, third stage. The church has been in first stage, Jerusalem, for a very long time and has really grown. But there is a persecution that breaks out against the church, Part of that being triggered by the fact that there's this very outspoken deacon by the name uh, of Stephen who talks very openly and very frankly about the gospel and about Christ. He's one of the first deacons in the church, but after he has been sort of arrested and, and put on trial, he is taken outside the city gates. In fact, you can go outside the Lion Gate this day. It's also called the Stephen's Gate in Jerusalem, and you can find the place where most of church tradition says this is the place where they dragged him out and stoned him to death. Now, with that, with his death, it opened the door for a persecution to break out against the entire church in Jerusalem. Now we pick up in verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds, with one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Let's say that together. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Say it one more time. So there was much rejoicing in that city. That's emphasis. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being what? They were being what, church? Baptized men and women alike. Even Simon... Everybody was calling him the great power of God. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, some time back, I heard a a talk, a sermon, that I I thought sort of uh, kind of inspired the structure that we're going to be using for the sermon this morning, some of the thoughts. There, I think there are at least four things that we see happening in this text. There are more than four, but these are the four that I want to uh, look at in light of our theme verse. Number one, what does a church in movement When the movement is on the move, what does it look like? Well, number one, the church is an everybody movement. Who are these people that are going everywhere preaching the Word? Who are these people that that go out of Jerusalem and begin preaching the Word wherever they go? They are not the apostles. They are not the professionals. When you read back in verse 1 of chapter 8, what you read is that the apostles, when that persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, what happened? Everybody else split, but the apostles stayed inside of Jerusalem. They stayed in Jerusalem while the church was being scattered. And where did the church go? Judea and Samaria, right? Judea and Samaria, Judea and Samaria. What does that sound like? 
second stage. They go from Jerusalem into the second stage, Judea and Samaria. The second stage of the mission. They have now commenced the second stage of the mission that Jesus Himself will directly uh, uh, influence and engage and direct from His place. It's not going to be spearheaded by the apostles, but by the everyday Joes in the pew. There's a, there's a, a really good commentary written by a fellow by the name of Robert Tannehill I want to read to you a portion of a quote that I think is incredibly salient and important at this, this, this juncture. He says, and I quote, This is an unexpected development. What? That it's the everyday Joe, the everyday member of the church that's planting this church, is not the apostles. This is an unexpected development. In 1.8, Jesus told the apostles that they were to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The mission does, does unfold in these geographical stages, but the apostles do not initiate the mission to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Philip does. From this point on, the apostles must repeatedly catch up with a mission that is sparked by other persons and other forces. That is in, that, that's an incredible statement. Let me read it one more time. From this point on, the apostles must repeatedly catch up with a mission that is sparked by other persons and other forces. You want to hear something really ironic? Who is one of these instigators of the persecution that breaks out and the mission scatters out of Jerusalem and is sent into Judea and Samaria? Saul of Tarsus, who later on becomes whom? Paul. Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles. This Saul... Seeing that all of these churches, all of these members have split Jerusalem. He's okay with that. But now they're going into Judea and Samaria and they're planting churches. And believe it or not, they're going even further than that. That makes him furious. Instead of killing the movement, what he has done has triggered its, its growth explosion. And now he has to travel even farther than Judea and Samaria. He has to go all the way to Damascus to stifle it and to keep it from spreading. And you know the story, Acts chapter 9, he's on the way to Damascus with this letter from one of the leaders in Jerusalem. He's going into Damascus to arrest and throw people that call on Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He's going to throw them in jail. But on the way to Damascus, he is hit by the light. He becomes a follower, a disciple of Jesus, and he becomes a missionary. And later on, this Saul, now turned Paul, is going to write to the church in Ephesus. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the what? Equipping, the preparing, the getting ready, the discipling, the, the, the giving the, the necessary components of a discipled life. Equipping of the saints for the works of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now the very fella that ironically was the guy that triggered the expansion to the second stage in the first place and went on to Damascus to try to kill that, is now the very one who's writing to the church in Ephesus and saying, you know what, it's Operation Everybody. It's Operation Everybody. It's not just the apostles and the, and, and the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists and the prophets. There are those, but it's everybody. Those guys are equipping all of the saints in order to do what? To build up the body of Christ for works of service, to be light in whatever community that they're in. 
Richard Rogers, in a sermon back in the 70s, said something really important about this passage. He said, why, why did they go every word preaching the Word? It's because they were preaching it at home. Many of you know Vincenzo Cox. Vincenzo is a, a high school teacher and a, and a soccer coach, one of the uh, Alif Erickson schools and uh, one of the school districts there in Houston. Back in the, the early part of, of 2002, 2003, uh, he was a reservist and was called up for active duty, came to uh, San Antonio to train at Fort Sam just as, as the, the Second Gulf War was beginning. And here is Vincenzo Cox, who's a high school uh, teacher and uh, uh, he was an Olympic athlete and, and now a soccer coach. Now he is a reservist. He is a, he is a soldier. He's in training in San Antonio. One of the last things he does before he's deployed, he comes to my office one afternoon. And one of the things that they never really prepare you for when you're in uh, college getting ready to preach is what happens when soldiers come to your office and they want to make sure that they're right with God before they go off and are put in harm's way. It was just a, 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 an incredibly deep and, and significant and, and moving conversation that day between Vincenzo and I. And at the end, we pray, and he's off to, to Iraq. And the next thing you know, I'm getting uh, emails and, and sometimes even text messages from Vincenzo. And guess where he's located? In Tikrit, which is the home of Saddam Hussein. And not long after Vincenzo Cox, as a soldier being trained at Fort Sam and attending our church for nearly a year. Not long is he in Crete before I get the news that Vincenzo has planted a church in Crete. I could probably live a thousand years and probably never land in Crete. Most of the people that are in this auditorium right now are never going to see Iraq. But what it took was just and I hate to refer to, to Vincenzo as an everyday Joe, but he's just a guy that God used to plant a church in a foreign land, a church that's there to this day. One of the things that makes the church great, wherever it's found, is that it's not just professional people. You know, we don't like to talk about clergy, but, but we certainly get treated like that at times. One of the signs of a healthy church is that everybody understands what it means to be a disciple. That is to live as light and to light, let that light shine in the community. The church is healthy when the church is everybody. But then number two, the church goes where the people are. Philip went down to a city in Samaria, and he, uh, to the city of Samaria, and he begins proclaiming there in verse 5 of Acts chapter 8. Philip went to the city. Now over the last 20 years or so, one of the things that I think is very, very healthy in, in, in Christian thinking and Christian writing is that there has been a renewed interest in planting churches in the largest urban centers around the world. Not just in the United States, not just in our own state, but all around the world. You know, one of the things that you see in that, boy, you know, I'm not even going to talk about that because we'll be here all day. But I do want to read to you a quote from a guy that writes about the importance of understanding churches in an urbanized center. He writes, urbanization is not a new challenge to Christians. 
The gospel of redemption was born in the city of Jerusalem and exploded into Christian ministry in the chain of cities across the Roman Empire. This urban coloration of Christian ministry has frequently been overlooked in recent generations and mission efforts have often been focused on smaller towns and villages. The situation has changed, however. Because a new burst of surprisingly rapid urbanization has forced all interpreters of the world scene, whether secular or Christian, to focus anew on cities. I'll say this and I'll move on. We talk a lot about how America has become secular. And right at the very front of the secularization of America has been the loss of the foothold of the church in our large cities. When you think about the great cities in our movement, in in the church today, where are they? They are located, for the most part, in smaller towns and in smaller places. We are... we. Most of the influence that we have from these larger cities has been lost because the church is not strong in these cities. And San Antonio is one of the biggest in America. And the influence that we have in the city and in the state and in the entire world is tremendous because of the opportunities just by the number of people that we have in the city. And one of the things that you notice as you read Acts and follow the letters of Paul is that Paul, directed by the Holy Spirit, went to the major cities of the Roman Empire. Why? Because the gospel is a gift to people. And he's taking the message to the masses. Then number three, the church produces a holistic ministry. One of the verses that that Paul writes to the church in Colossae, another one of the large cities, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when we look back at Acts chapter 8 and we see the ministry of Philip in Samaria, we see two things. We see, number one, it's word. Philip goes into the city and what does he begin to do? He begins to talk about Jesus. He begins to proclaim the Christ. He's giving them truths. He's, he's interpreting Old Testament Scripture. He's, he's giving them a body of information. He's sharing with them the gospel. That is the message of what was accomplished by Jesus. His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension into heaven. And they are listening to what He's saying. But it's not just word, it's also deed. He's casting out demons. He's healing the lame and the paralyzed. He's dealing with human misery and, and dealing with human pain. And He's dealing with human suffering. And he does this on a spiritual level, what would be perceived as a spiritual level with with all of the demons being cast out. But he does it also at a physical human misery level because separate from that are those that are paralyzed and lame. Now, he's not just doing good deeds without giving it intellectual meaning. And he's not just speaking without giving it relevance. What he's doing is connecting the power of God and the power of the gospel with the need of the human soul. And the people listen, and they believe, and they are baptized just like Jesus wanted in the Great Commission. And we read in verse 8, because of that ministry that was like light in that city, there was much rejoicing in that city. Last thing I want to say is the church is to produce joy in the community. Now, that doesn't mean that there's going to be moments of resistance and moments of, uh, you know, times when what the church does is not going to be very popular because the truths that we believe to be eternal are not going to be readily accepted by everyone that hears them. But in the end, here are these Jews and these Samaritans who hated each other in the city of Samaria. They hated each other. 
couldn't even worship in the same place together. They, they, the, the Jewish people, unless there was some kind of an emergency or it was just really much more expedient to do so, they would go completely around the area of Samaria in order to get to Jerusalem or, or to get up to Galilee from Jerusalem and would not set foot in Samaria. That's, that's how much they hated each other. Jewish people, the Hebrew, the Hebrew people thought the Samaritans were half-breeds and thought that they had compromised the faith. Samaritans thought the same thing. But all of a sudden, the Jews and the Samaritans who hated each other are now being transformed by the Gospel and worshiping together in spirit and in truth. Just like Jesus said would happen one day in a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well near Sychar in John chapter 4. She's got a religious question. We all do. Was the thief on the cross saved? She's got a religious question like that. She says... Uh, we Samaritans say we worship here. You Jews say we worship down in Jerusalem. Where do we worship? And Jesus says that's precisely the question. One day, the true worshipers of God, the kind that He seeks, will worship Him in spirit and in truth. You know, one of the things that, that I, I think is so important is that is that, that the church that represents the gospel and speaks the gospel and lives the gospel, not just proclaims it, but embodies it everywhere that it goes, that it goes to all peoples, that it, it goes to people of, of, of different color and of different education and socioeconomic backgrounds in such a way that the church begins to look like the very community, the very city that it's found. You know, people talk all the time, in, in secular ways, about the need to be colorblind. I tell people in our church, we're not colorblind because God made them that color. We are colorful. And we represent the gospel to every single human being. One of the things that uh, Solomon said in the Proverbs, and I'll close with this verse. He says, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. My question in closing this morning is this. At the end of 2015, will San Antonio, will, will the people of this community say that they rejoice that the MacArthur Park Church of Christ is in our city? Will there, will there, will there be people who recognize our church because we're like that city that is set on a hill whose light, its good deeds and good work, goes like light out into the community and people rejoice and give glory to God because this church is being, is, is being truthful and faithful to the gospel of God. They went everywhere preaching the word and changed the city. And the reason they went everywhere preaching the word is because they were preaching it at home. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. Maybe there are some ways our church can minister to you. Maybe, just maybe, you've been making a, an argument in your mind about whether or not you really want to become a disciple of Jesus. You know, I want to say that is one of the most, that's not just a great question, but that is one of the most important debates that you can have. Because the Christ does not call you to convenience. 
and does not promise a life that is, that is all the time comfortable. What He does promise is that you'll have a life that, is, that has significance and meaning and purpose and direction. That He puts His Spirit inside of you to help you overcome a lot of the, the, the dark things in, in, in your nature and in the way that you behave and the way that you think. Your sins are forgiven and your conscience should be clean and you can sleep at night. But it's not always an easy life. But it is the most meaningful and fulfilling life that a human being can ever know. For His God to work with Him and He to work with His God and not just becoming the person that you were always supposed to be, looking like Christ in everything that you do, but being used by God to change and transform people's lives wherever you go. And not because you have a degree, even though a degree is important in theology or whatever, but you're doing it because of the power of God that is working through you and your faithfulness. And if this morning you decide that you want to be a disciple of Jesus and are ready for your sins to be washed away and to align your life with, with the will of God, some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Come down and become a sheep for the purposes of God this morning by being baptized and confessing and repenting while the rest of us stand and praise God together. And the